Welcome back to Mark's Madness. Okay, there we go. Uh, we, we go do are going to pretend that we've recorded an episode before this because we don't have current events and we're just going to talk about the book. <laughs> uh, Mark's yeah. Madness, we read books. Page 262, Industry was uneasy at the Stevens plan. <laughs> Interesting. Um, curious why I should care. Uh, the New York Herald claimed it created lack of business confidence, North and South. Man, that sounds just... Oh, Those just, poor businesses. Mm, they're so... Mm, oh, it's so... Uh, such a lack of confidence, of course, would hinder economic development in the South and to that extent limit New York's commercial prosperity. Commerce was especially alarmed lest Thaddeus Stevens should use his machine for carrying out his scheme of confiscation of Southern lands. Such wholesale confiscation capital could not contemplate. Local harmony, law and order, the development of the vast industrial resources of the South seem wisest in New York. All right. So let's real quick and dirty there. Um, yeah. Uh, because that is that paragraph basically explains... Um, the overarching relationship between power and uh, legislative power in this country, um, for yes. forever, and within all of capitalism, I would say uh, forever and for always. Um, Absolutely, I mean that's it's it's a really packed in, Americanized, um, state and revolution little paragraph there. It is, but it's um, it's so yeah. It, no, no, it's just it's very. You see that you can see this at every turn, every point, every everything. And if you need to point mm-hmm. out to people when, oh, well, why can't we elect people? You can elect the most radical person you want. This line, again, I'm not saying we, we know how this went, but we don't have any foresight yeah. here. Industry was uneasy. It's the Stevens plan. What do you think the odds are that the Stevens plan is going to go through? <laughs> probably. Yeah, probably I mean, that's, that's true. Done. Yeah, very, very, very low. I mean, again, you know, we, we know Biden sucks just straight up ideologically. Uh, that shouldn't be shocking considering his vast, vast, terrible corporate suckling racist history. But um, we All also know US politicians that, suck. <laughs> yes. But we also know he didn't ride in on a wave uh, to be the president because people weren't unhappy about covid response and of course the first thing he says is well we're not really going to shut down we can't shut down we're just no. we're just going to be smarter about it um yeah just because businesses are like no no we can't do a shutdown nope yeah and it it the fact that you have business interest fully dictating policy um yeah unelected business interest of a minority heavily capitalized business interest making mm-hmm. all of your decisions at the end of the day yes. because again yes. what can and can't be acceptable because let's be real freeing the slaves didn't put a threat on capitalism at the end of the day it was a minor no. inconvenience um, it yeah, definitely it set sh- them back. They were set- happy about it. I don't even but know if it, it set them back because let's be real. They knew that the South was. If they could so- contain it in a formality, they were fine. Yeah. And as long as they could contain it in, in a formality, it would cost them. The labor wasn't free anymore, but it wasn't going to cost them more than, say, you know, a civil war. So it was, you know, it was one of those price of business things like when when they expanded the welfare state. 
uh, after the Great Depression and to kind of combat communism because you know communism would have been the real threat you know the the, the land redistribution from Thaddy Stevens and actually you know having equality and empowered black people that's the real threat um, but you know there, there's a big setback for them when you abolish slavery but not a big it's- enough one to throw away risk throwing away their system. I think there's also a trade-off, though. It was one of those risks that's offset by the fact of the North, in their in their mind, if you throw... Again, trying to think of this as some... As some like, in Marx's capitalist term, in, in actual capitalist mm-hmm. thought, you're yeah. going to throw... You know for a fact that the labor being done in the South, that there is technological advances that mean that you're doing it inefficiently by using manual labor. Yeah. That is not an efficient way of doing it. It's an economical way of doing it, but it's not the efficient way of doing it. From capital's perspective, it is better to throw all of those slaves into the surplus labor pool, yeah. buy up new technology that makes this more efficient and have your surplus labor pool expanded exponentially. Like in yeah. terms of raw of capital, course- that makes sense. Yeah, and of course then things like black codes actually make more sense because it expands the effects of the surplus labor pool mm-hmm. for the same like you know if your surplus labor pool doubles well that's great for you but let's say it doubles and the new half of it is by law less empowered well that's even better for you that's you're, very efficient in that surplus you labor are pool. creating a lumpen proletariat and a lumpen proletariat mm-hmm. especially to those in the north well they weren't allowed to own slaves so having slaves doesn't benefit me, but having a very baked in lumpen proletariat is very useful to me. So mm-hmm. again, just absolutely thing, things you see and things that again, the more you do this, this is where again, this is where the theory is useful because over and over and over again, when you start seeing the same patterns emerge, you can put them together really quickly uh, and then tie them to what's going on now and make predictions and things like that. So that's and that paragraph is just such a evergreen paragraph you can take the names of the the paper out take the name of the senator out and just flip it flop it around and the pe- the you know the new york times was very worried about senator sanders plan for universal health care because that would upset the insurance industry same thing same song and dance bernie sanders is no thaddeus stevens but mm, no know. i was gonna say i put thaddeus stevens on a much higher pedestal yeah. than bernie i mean he but what you're saying to is still grand reclamation the man wanted to uh, yes. extract all the value out of the south we we've already talked about this he was proto mugabe yes yes he was with a little bit of mao tossed in because fuck the landlords yes um yes Johnson, in his message on December 4th, began an extraordinary series of state papers which he could never have written all by himself. Johnson's state papers, including vetoes, were uniformly in good temper, conservative, historical, and well-considered. In the preparation of them, he made use of every person on whom he could lay his hands. Bancroft wrote the first message to Congress. Jer Black, the hero of ex parte Milligan, wrote the Reconstruction veto. Seward, the precise scholar, supervised much that supervised much that the president wrote. Stanton, the practical lawyer, wrote the bill to admit North Carolina and other states in the Union in 1865. The Attorney General, Wells, Secretary of the Navy, and other members of the cabinet he frequently used. Oh, look at him and his team of rivals. Look at him delegating tasks. Yeah. Look at yeah. him. Look at all these goons. And you know what? And and he gets to, to propose them as opposition. Except for anyone who knows the inside stuff, right? Oh, yeah. I, I'm an abolitionist. I'm I'm a good old Southern boy Republican. I don't yes. I don't like these plantation owners. Oh, oh, but my cabinet they signed these papers, and you know what? I just there's a lot of stress and, on me. I can't I can't take mutiny. 
I gotta, I gotta, I gotta do this. And we saw in the last episode how how quickly he caved to wanting to be the light, wanting to be liked, mm. and wanting to be in the click with the rich and the the powerful and the same oh, things. He did that click in the click is the best way to put it. He oh, just yeah. wants to be a cool. Kid. Oh, he wants to be a cool kid. That's, he wants to be able to eat at the yeah. cool kids table at lunch. That's all he wants. And yeah. I, I would 100%. attest. I would attest that that is a natural inclination of almost anyone that gets into these seats of power. You either can become a contrarian and kind of just yeah. make that your thing, or you're going to cave in because that power and that access to that power is, there's a reason it's overwhelming. There's a reason it's so, it is the way mm-hmm. it is. So creating an organized group where you're allowed to be lobbied and, and heavily influenced by those people, probably not a great way to try and affect change. In his first message, he forecast the adoption of the 13th Amendment, which, in fact, occurred December 18th. He explained that because of this anticipated abolition of slavery, he had proceeded to begin reorganization of the states and admission to their full rights in the Union. He knew that this policy was attended with some risk, but the risk must be taken. The relations of the general government towards the four millions of inhabitants whom the war has called into freedom has engaged my most serious consideration. On the, propriety, on the propriety of attempting to make the freedom freedmen electors by the proclamation of the executive, I took for my counsel the Constitution itself. The interpretation of that instrument by its authors and their contemporaries and recent legislation by Congress. When at the first movement towards independence, the Congress of the United States instructed the several states to institute governments of their own, they left each state to decide for itself the condition for the enjoyment of the elective franchise. Moreover, a concession of the elective franchise to the freedmen by the act of the President of the United States must have been extended to all colored men, wherever found, and so must have established a change of suffrage in the northern, middle, and western states not less than in the southern and southwestern such an act would have created a new class of voters and would have been an assumption of power by the president which nothing in the constitution or laws of the united states would have warranted (sighs) on the other hand every danger of conflict is avoided when the settlement of the question is referred to the several states they can each for itself decide on the measure and whether it is to be adopted at once and absolutely or introduced gradually and with conditions in my judgment, the freedmen, if they show patience, mm, 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 I think there was a mm, and manly virtues will be sooner uh, uh, will sooner obtain a participation in the elective franchise through the states than through the general government, even if it had power to intervene. When the tumult of emotions that have been raised by the suddenness of the social change shall have subsided, it may prove that they will receive the kindliest usage from some of those on whom they have been heretofore most closely depended. Okay, uh, I don't want to stop in the middle of a quote, but we're going to stop in the middle of a quote. No, there's too many important things there, that, right? There I was mean, this nothing. Is a whole... That last paragraph. Oh, yeah. Oh. I mean, that thing is loaded. I mean, loaded with every, every, you know, dog whistle in the book, right? I don't want to be big authoritarian government and just supersede the Constitution. I've got to do what the Constitution allows me and stay within my powers because, oh my God, government overreach. You can't have authoritarianism, blah, blah, blah. Um, but you also have this this nasty little thing in, in, I think it was in the, I can't remember if it was in the paragraph before that paragraph all of a sudden, but this nasty little thing like, oh, I usher in a whole new class of voters on my own. Well, that wouldn't be fair. They'd just vote for me. Um, and it's this age-old argument that if you actually do the people's will, that's undemocratic because that's 
buying their support. Isn't that and so the same? in order to be more democratic, you have to go against the people. It's the same thing when people say like, you know, uh, Maduro like that. pays people for votes because he provides, you know, yeah, he provides. And, and again, this is, this is not a new talking point. This is an old like Reagan talking point, talking about yeah. Democrats buying votes with, with welfare checks, you know? Um, I mean, so this is, and you can see when I say an old talking point, look, it's right here from Johnson. You know, and so there's this idea that, oh, it's it's buying votes. If you if you, the elected person, dare provide for the needs of your constituents, as if many constituents believe the government should do, if you actually do your job properly in a democratic fashion, that's undemocratic because it's buying votes. The democratic thing to do is to go against the people's will, which is obviously bullshit. And that's obviously what you say when you support a minority of people who are already in power and who are more empowered when you go against the people's will. Yeah. And it, and then back to the, <laughs> the rest of that, where you're, you're going on. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my God. The tumult of emotion, the slowness, the, they need to be patient. Yes. Um, I think there was yes. a Lorraine Hansberry, uh, a soundbite that was going around today. I probably on TikTok, honestly. Sure. Um, I, I think, uh, just speaking of the need, oh, you know, we're just told we need to be patient as if we have not exhausted every single option that had been available to any group ever yes. and been turned away every single time. And yet you tell me we're being impatient. Yes. Like, how fucking dare you? Um, and this is again at, at, towards the beginning of all the things that she's talking about, but it just shows again, they said patience from the very beginning. And where has that ever gotten anyone? Whereas the slow incremental yeah. change ever, ever yeah, led only, to actual the only justice. changes. The only changes, whether you're looking at the communist movements in the South that are, are again laid out. If, if people want to read hammer and hoe uh, to the civil rights movements to, of course, what was talking about here, the, the civil war that was trying to be quote unquote resolved after the fact, you know, that's where the gains and rights are done. And all this in between time where they're told to be patient, they just got these rights. They need to be patient. Look, look over time. You get more and more rights. Just be patient. It's coming to you. That's when rights are scaled back. That's when people who just gain rights are attacked in new ways. Uh, and that's when things at best just hum around and don't get any better. Yep. 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 <sighs> that paragraph. God. Um, but while I have no doubt that now after the close of the war, it is not competent for the general government to extend the elective franchise in the several states. Why? Why? <laughs> why is it not? No one has given a reason why it's not. All no, it's powers, just stated over. If you say it enough, it's true. All powers not delegated by this Constitution fall to the states. Okay, go go amend it. Go amend the Constitution. It's you're amending it right now. You just made the your Thirteenth Amendment. It's a thing. Um, oh my God. Even if it had the power to intervene when the tumult of emotions that has been raised... Oh, no, sorry. But after, I have doubt the general government to extend the elective franchise in the several states. It is equally clear that good faith requires the security of the freedmen in their liberty and in their property, their right to labor, and their right to claim the just return of their labor. I cannot too strongly urge a dispassionate treatment of this subject, which should be carefully kept aloof from all party strife. Okay. We must equally avoid hasty assumptions of any natural impossibility for the two races to live side by side. Okay. In a state of mutual benefit and goodwill. All right, Johnson. All right. All right, Johnson. 
The experiment involves us in no inconsistency. Let us then go on and make that experiment in good faith and not be too easily disheartened. The country is in need of labor. There it is. And the freedmen are in need of work, culture, and protection. <laughs> there it was. Why do we? Why can't we dismiss? Oh, because we need labor. There There's it was. Smoking gun. Pachoo! David, I'm, I'm sick of reading this bastard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then came a charismatic turn of thought. Oh, a new turn of thought. Are you are you pumped up for this one, Nathan? Oh, I'm extremely Back into the quotes. I'm hard well, for it. Yeah. While their right of voluntary migration and expatriation is not to be questioned, I would not advise their forced removal and colonization. Oh, good. We don't want to colonize Here. people. That's good. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> as as we're doing westward expansion, by the way. No big deal. Uh, he. Here, President Johnson was clearly envisaged the extinction or voluntary removal of four million laborers in the South and the settlement of the problem of the presence in the United States by replacing them with white labor. On the other hand, he seemed anxious to have them protected in their new present status, and it was understood both from the message and from other sources that the president was in favor of continuing the Freedmen Bureau. Now, I, I loved Voices writing. I really do. And and this is why, because a charismatic turn of thought is, oh, by the way, characteristic, we characteristic. should. Ah, OK. See, well, <laughs> I, OK. Anyway, a turn of thought, a turn of thought here is going from the bullshit he just said to, oh, by the way, um, let's not slaughter all of them. That's a turn of thought. That's not consistent with what was before. And yeah. I really like that Du Bois points that out so smoothly. Yeah. Even if I get the words wrong. Uh, Words are important. We read them for a living. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, to hear President Johnson was clearly envisaged with the extinction of voluntary removal from 4 million laborers in the South, the settlement problem in their presence in the United States replaced with white labor. On the other hand, he seemed anxious to protect them in the new status. The message of the source is present. Here I am. Okay, sorry. I lost my place. <laughs> uh, the temper of Congress was firm. What should be done in Reconstruction was a matter of deliberation, thought, and care. It should not be settled by the Southern leaders who brought on the crisis. Well, no. duh. Well, you working say alone that. in conjunction. Yeah, exactly. You oh, say working duh. alone in conjunction with the president and his ca- his cabinet. <laughs> okay. True. Yeah. On the it, other it hand, shouldn't be, it shouldn't be nation- unilaterally decided by the presidency. I think we also agree that's correct. Yeah. Sh- yeah. It should be done by the presidency and, and, and all the goons behind it, behind closed doors. On the other hand, what the nation wanted was by no means clear. There was among its millions no one mind, as there often is not in most places. <laughs> uh, there was among its various groups no unanimity. unanimity it's very hard to say that word sometimes, but not unanimous thought is what unanimity. It it's a very simple word. Yeah. yeah, there you go. But it's a tongue twister for me for some reason. Uh, the mind, the mind of Thaddeus Stevens evolved a course of action. This plan was to set up at least temporarily a cabinet form of responsible government in the United States to put in power a camaria of representatives of various sections. I don't know that word, so I'm just assuming it's Spanish. I, I did the, the Y double S. Uh, Camarilla, if I'm wrong, uh, groups and parties, a small group of uh, people, who, especially but, a group of advisors to a ruler or politician. Okay. It's a derogatory okay. noun. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, by deliberation and inquiry would find out what action could command a majority in the house and in the Senate. 
This in itself was the beginning of momentous change in our government, a change, unfortunately, never carried out completely through. And the failure to carry it through was hampered by the United, I'm sorry, has hampered the United States government ever since. The original idea of the Congress was a small, deliberative assembly in two houses, which should think and argue matters through and then have their decisions enforced by the executive. That sounds a lot like democratic centralism, my mm-hmm. friend, the vanguard. And that, coordinated that and clarified by Supreme Court. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and coordinated and clarified by a Supreme Court. But Congress grew to unwieldy size. The executive grew in prestige and power until during the Civil War, he became a dictator, while the Supreme Court was destined to assume powers which would at times threaten to stop the progress of the nation almost without appeal. See, now something we've been very good about pointing out, especially you, Nathan, and it, it right here is, is the Supreme Court is, is an oligarchical stopper. For, for social gains. I mean, sometimes it stumbles on a decision that, that shoots social gains forward that were already in a groundswell in the public. But usually these social gains that are already in a groundswell in the public can actually meet some legislative backing. Um, when they meet any conservative backlash to pop up the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court just just kills it, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's what they tend to do. Yeah, that, um, that is their MO. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what was the decision that was just five, four that, uh, Oh, the, the church is staying open. There's a, a thing saying the state cannot close down religious services. And it went to the Supreme court and, uh, uh, Cohen Barrett or, you know, the, the new lady that Feinstein kissed the ass of, who was obviously fascist, um, was the, the final vote to send it over five, four that like, yeah, no, you can't tell people not to practice their religion in a global pandemic. You can't discourage that. That's like you that that's a genocidal decision. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So. I'm having a hard time. I'm having yeah. a hard time yeah. finding any. Uh, there are a lot of things that I find empath- that I try and find the empathetic view of. I'm mm-hmm. losing all sense of that for anyone not taking this seriously anymore. Uh, for anything. No, outside I know. But again, religion. Anything outside religion of is a. Yeah, I was going to say and religion is a special ideological consideration so when you don't discourage religious gathering people feel obligated to go now some people still put the sense ahead of that obligation but there's a great many people that feel obligated to go and you can see system-wide right that you could just blame individuals about any problem if you don't regulate it you could just blame the stupid dumb individuals or whatever and the problem can just fester but if you want to stop it then you use the power of the people in charge because again even those individuals can feel you know socially pressured where like oh hell i might get kicked out of my house if i don't go to church so i'm gonna die anyway or i'm gonna lose my job if i don't go to work and so you know you've got to have the government shut these things down and so when the government steps aside and says well we're not treading on people's religion that's just a license for more people to go out there and spread this pandemic and i mean the results are right in front of our faces so again this is a genocidal decision yeah ruling recording this on on uh uh, long oh, story short, it's a garbage. It's a garbage U.S. holiday about genocide it's, that yeah. we turn into fun yeah. turkey shit, uh, and should be more focused on our indigenous comrades. Yeah, I mean, it's a, at best, at best, we'll call it Turkey Day um, if we sure. don't know quite how to to peg it as an indigenous people's honored holiday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, we're recording it on that, so I look forward to by the yeah. time we record, you know, or the time this comes out, which it will probably come out in about two weeks. Uh, shooting my shot here, looking forward to that not looking great in two weeks' time. Ooh, the, the uh, yeah, I mean, what well, we're we're over two hundred 
thousand a day and people are getting on planes to see I mean, family members. You saw all those you saw those graphics, I'm assuming see, of- I would be shocked if it's not half a million a day by the yeah, end of this. The- deaths are already over a quarter million, and that's terrifying and incredibly sad just in this country. That's gonna shoot up. It, numbers are not going to be good. Oh, it's I, it's it's. I mean that everyone saw those infographics, those yeah. like real time things where it was showing all the planes leaving for Thanksgiving, and it's just like, yes, man. If I was playing Plague Inc., I would feel like this is too easy. Like this is too easy as a yes. video game scenario. You have to be kidding yes. me. We cannot be this bad, um, but we are. <sighs> this is great. I just, it's great. I I feel like people are not familiar with the basic tenets of germ theory and well no david david we are familiar with them but you didn't you hear those are fascists now germ theories for the fash uh if you're if you're unaware that's that's right we're treading on people's freedoms like their freedom of religion no germ theory is just germ theory is for fascists uh it was developed by the nazis and therefore if you support it you're not a real socialist and i learned that on twitter um um Moreover, yeah, moreover, moreover, the contingency of an executive who far from being the servant of a congressional majority was antagonistic and even a contradictory source of authority and action never occurred to the fathers. They did not intend to have the president a mere mouthpiece of Congress. And for this reason, they gave him the message and the veto. But on the other hand, they never conceived that he should be in himself both executive and lawgiver, and yet this he practically was during and after the Civil War. He exemplified at the time of Andrew Johnson a new and extraordinary situation which the President of the United States, in vital particulars, was opposed to the overwhelming majority of the party of Congress, which had elected him, and refused, in effect, to do their will. And yet with all that and we so plainly see him as dictator that when people go to elections they focus almost entirely on the president uh yeah. as oh. we saw earlier in this speech whenever it's inconvenient for the powers to be it's oh i shouldn't i shouldn't expand my powers i shouldn't yeah. do that that's that's not constitutional i should stay i should respect the will of the people when when it's against the will of the people it's always convenient like that mm-hmm this had to be remedied, and for this, the committee of 15 on the motion of Thaddeus Stevens came into being in the 39th Congress. It was government on the English parliamentary model with two modifications. It was responsible to two houses instead of to one, which enormously delayed and complicated its functioning. Ah, bureaucracy. <laughs> and it contained representatives of the opposition party, although this representation was often nullified through caucuses and subcommittees. It was the business of the committee of 15 to see how the government of the United States was to be changed after the the war from its form before the war, and this involved, first, some change in the basis of popular representation, secondly, a clarification of the status of the Negro, and finally, it brought a modification of the relation of the national government to the state government. All very important topics to cover. Yes. No, like, holy shit, if you had to pick a big three, that you, you nailed it in one. Uh, it Not our modification... Yeah, it brought a modification of the relation of the national government to state government, not simply in civil rights, but in even more in industry and labor. <laughs> Thad, I love you, buddy. It was through the first and second that the majority, which eventually dominated the 39th Congress, gained its moral power. It was through the third that the moral power was implemented. <sighs> 
Stevens was too astute a politician to stress first the moral foundation of his argument. In his first speech as leader of the 39th Congress, he placed his main argument on representation because he knew that would appeal to the men sitting in front of him and representing national wealth and industry. Th- Thaddeus Stevens, I am more and more convinced, is just the best politician in the history of time. <laughs> just so fu- This guy is like... At least in the history of the United States. And given the competition is horrendous. It's but a low bar. But here's the thing. Mitch McConnell is a good politician. He does exactly what he sets out to do and does it very effectively. Thaddeus Stevens is doing it, but with the moral high ground. It's very fun to watch. Imagine if someone like yes. imagine if Chuck Schumer had a one eighth of the backbone that Thaddeus Stevens had, or like the Jeez. desire to actually accomplish something. Yeah, wouldn't it yeah. be nice? No, it would wouldn't be, it be wildly nice? different. Shut yeah. up! Electoral politics is garbage. Nice. Give me something to dream about, okay? Give me something <laughs> to hold me through for a minute. In December 1865, when the Thirteenth Amendment was adopted, a curious result followed: twenty nine representatives were added to the South. <laughs> Since the adoption of the Constitution, the basis of congressional representation had been the free population, including free Negroes and three-fifths of slaves. Stevens said that it was this basis of representation unchanged. Oh, Stevens said that with this basis of representation unchanged, the 38 Southern members with the Democrats that will, in the best times, be elected from the North will always give them a majority in Congress and in the Electoral College. They will, at the very first election, take possession of the White House and the halls of Congress. I need not depict the ruin that would follow. Assumption of the rebel debt or repudiation of the federal debt would be sure to follow. The oppression of the freedmen, the reamendment of their state constitutions, and the reestablishment of slavery would be the inevitable result. That they would scorn and disregard their present constitutions forced upon them in the midst of martial law would be both natural and just. No one who has any regard for freedom of elections can look upon those governments forced upon them in duress with any favor. So he's recognizing, he's like, look, you give them any yeah. sort of representative power back, we just force them at gunpoint to change their laws. You think they're going to take kindly to that? I don't. I'm yeah. Thaddeus Stevens. No. No. And, of course, you give them that representative power, it's going to blow up. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. This was the cogent, clear argument of Thaddeus Stevens, the politician. But Thaddeus Stevens was never a mere politician. He cared nothing for constitutional subtleties, nor even for political power. He was a stern believer in democracy, both in politics and in industry, and made his second argument turn on the economic freedom of the slave. I'm getting a Thaddeus Stevens tattoo. We have turned or are about to turn (laughs) loose four million slaves without a hut to shelter them or a cent in their pockets. The infernal laws of slavery have prevented them from acquiring an education, understanding the commonest laws of contract, or of managing the ordinary business life. This Congress is bound to provide for them until they can take care of themselves. If we do not furnish them with homesteads and hedge them around with protective laws, if we leave them to the legislation of their late masters, we had better have left them in bondage. He then resolutely went forward in defense of pure democracy, although he knew that in this argument he was venturing far beyond the practical beliefs of his auditors. Governor Perry, so he starts out, he's doing it, this is very tactical. Part one, something you absolutely all agree with and know for a fact I'm right on and none of you want to lose your jobs or your Mm -hmm. seats or your power. Cool. Part two, uh, 
got to protect the people you just freed or they're going to get fucked. You should probably want to do that. All right. Now let's swing in here with our uh, Mugabe. Let's let's do a little turn the knife here and see what we yeah. get. Governor Perry of South Carolina and other provisional governors and orders proclaim that this is the white man's government. Demagogues of all parties, even some high in authority, gravely shout, this is the white man's government. What is implied by this? That one race of men are to have the exclusive rights forever to rule this nation and to exercise all acts of sovereignty, while all other races and nations and colors are to be their subjects and have no voice in the making the laws and choosing the rulers by whom they are to be governed? Our fathers repudiated the whole doctrine of legal superiority of families or races and proclaimed the equality of men before the law. Upon that, they created a revolution and built the republic. They were prevented by slavery from perfecting the superstructure. The what? Oh, did the what? Daddy, is there something about you we don't know? Perfecting the superstructure whose foundation they had brus finally laid. He is talking about base and superstructure. For the sake of the union, they consented to wait, but never relinquished the idea of its final completion. Guys, find me a Thaddeus Stevens bust or statue. Uh, uh, legally acquire it. Then get a hold of me and ship it to me somehow. I love you all. I ask you for nothing. I want a full... I can't have David in the pod cave. I want to sit across from a full-size bust of Thaddeus Stevens at all times while I am podcasting. It is the one thing that will keep me sane and healthy and happy. I, I beg this of you, my, my, my loyal people. Thank you. Uh... The time to which they look forward with anxiety has come. It is our duty to complete their work. If this republic is not now made to stand on their great principles, it has no honest foundation. And the father of all men will still shake it to its center. If we have not yet sufficiently been sufficiently scourged for our national sin to teach us to do justice to all God's creatures without distinction of race or color, we must expect the still more heavy vengeance of an offended father. He is calling down Old Testament God on their asses. Oh my God, fat daddy, bring us home. This is not a white man's government in the exclusive sense in which it is used. To say so is political blasphemy, for it violates the fundamental principles of our gospel of liberty. This is man's government. The government of all, well, all right, tone down the patriarchy there, man. The government of all men alike. Not that all men will have equal power and sway within it. Accidental circumstances, natural and acquired endowment and ability will vary their fortunes. This sounds very very proto-socialist. Yeah, it very, does. This it is does. Very, very much like not all people are going to be equal within social, but we work with it. Like This sounds very, very... This man's read some State and Revolution. I don't care that State and Revolution hasn't been published yet, and Lenin's probably not even alive at this point. Fuck you, he read it. That's how good Thaddeus Stevens <laughs> is. But equal rights to all the privileges of the government is innate in every immortal being, no matter what the shape or color of the tabernacle which it inhabits. Sir, this doctrine of a white man's government is as atrocious as the infamous sentiment that demanded the late Chief Justice to everlasting fame, and I fear to everlasting fire. He just sent that man to hell. Sent him straight to hell with a steel chair. That is Thaddeus Stevens' music. Holy shit. God damn, Thad Daddy. That is a speech. It was very good. That is a damn good speech. I am. Oh, I am. Very, yeah. David, I am tired now. Take over. Whoo. <laughs> the ensuing debate in the House and Senate 
flamed all o- over all creation, but it started with a note of moral triumph. The newly elected speaker declared, the fires of civil war have broken every fetter in the land and proved the funeral pyre of slavery. The chaplain of the Senate increased this moral afflatus with religious fervor, thankful that the state of freedom now looks down from our capital upon an entire nation of free men, and that we are permitted by the dispensation of thy providence and the way being prepared to give liberty to the captive and opening up of the prison to them that are bound and to proclaim the acceptable year of our God. I love that this has gotten very fire this and brimstone pro abolition. The Lord is involved and he is on the right side this time. I'm very uncomfortable <laughs> when people invoke God uh, in politics and it's not to, so that we can kill gay people or something like that. Like this, this is nice. Yeah. Uh, the chaplet of the house said, Oh God, we stand today on the soil of a nation, which is not alone by inference of report, but by the solemn announcement of the constituted authorities declared free in every part and parcel of its territory. Blessed be thy name. O God for thy wonderful ending of this terrible conflict. I, I am fired up. I still can't freeze over the fact that I'm troubled that there's a chaplain of the house. Is that still a thing? Uh, the house? Yes, that's, there's a chaplain of the house and the Senate. Jesus Christ, that's terrible. No, it's, um, I think it's like a non-denominational kind of like religious authority figure that that the presides. secular chaplain, basically. Yeah, basically. Okay. Okay. Uh, Congressional amendments of every sort poured into Congress concerning the national and Confederate debt, the civil rights of freedmen, the establishment of Republican government, the basis of representation, payment for slaves, and the future powers of the federal government and states. Arguments swirled in a maelstrom of logic. No matter where it started and how far afield in legal metaphysics it strayed, always it returned and had to return to two focal points. Shall the South be rewarded for unsuccessful secession by increased political power? And can the freed Negro be a part of an American democracy? David, 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 I'm sorry. Uh, This is a moment. There's very rare moments um, where we must pause this podcast Uh, and media res. Um, yeah, this is one of them, David. I just pulled up. <laughs> I Googled house chaplain. I just wanted to see if it was still around. Oh, I was no. pretty confident it was. It is. It's still a thing. They, they serve a two year term. It's fun. Oh, nice. Um, who elects them? You know what? That's a question for another day. But, uh, there's, there's one video that comes up when you, when you Google the house oh, chaplain from 2019. And I just want to play that video for, uh, for all of us real quick. <laughs> It's 54 seconds long. Okay. This has been a difficult and contentious week in which darker spirits seem to have been at play in the people's house. In your most holy name, I now cast out all spirits of darkness from this chamber. Spirits not from you. I cast out the spirit of discouragement which deadens the hope of those who are of goodwill. I cast out the spirit of petty divisiveness, which clouds the sense and the desire to be of fruitful productivity in addressing the issues more appropriately before this house. I cast out any sadness brought on by the frustration of dealing with matters detrimental to the honorable work each member has been called to engage in. 
That was that was after the impeachment proceedings. Oh no! Oh my god! Okay, so we just did an exorcism we- of the house. Wait, hold on. No. Okay, so I get it. Catholicism deserves it. I get it. I, I take that on the chin as 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 the Catholic man of this podcast. I get that. Okay, and yes, I mean my family. You know, it, I, I, yeah, Catholic, right? Get it. Got it. Um, that I will Baptist. tell you before you go. I was I was gonna say that, I my family Southern Baptist. That man's Baptist. Okay, I have Southern Baptist ex step family, and that is. The 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 racist ass <laughs> Baptist great uncle holding hands oh. in prayer before dinner kind oh, of speech. That's God. what that fucking is. Holy that's, shit! That's, dear Lord, dear Lord, <laughs> please bless us and 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 make us safe on our trips and make us not dye our hair stupid fucking liberal colors and and dear Lord, uh, bless the poor while we feast on on our feast. Amen. Like that's that's what that fucking was. I just can't the, <laughs> casting out all this like so much subtweeting of everyone in the house of <laughs> during the after the impeachment. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> okay. I apologize. This has been uh, this has been no. a brief detour into. Do we still no, have that in government? And the answer is yes. We still have one of those. Yes. Yes. Uh, detour aside, that was actually a stopping point from the reading because I was going to say that the, the this is what I thought you were stopping me for. Um, the, I really like this last sentence. Shall decide the. Let's see. No matter where it started or how far afield the legal metaphysics had strayed, always it had to return to two focal points. One, shall the South be rewarded for unsuccessful secession by increased political power? And two, can the freed Negro be a part of American democracy? Yes. Like that's where the discussion always came back. Obviously, but I mean, you know, it's not that easy. It's it's, it's the United States. Because how, under what, under what system, that is the most insane logic in the history of time of being like, all right, so you guys just uh, uh, had a civil war. You lost that civil mm-hmm. war. Yeah. Um, your punishment Here's more power. is to be more powerful. Mm-hmm. That's it. No. No. Yeah. No. No. But remember, no. remember, hey, 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 this is a country with a Senate and Electoral College. All right. <sighs> I just don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. And if that is the case, hasn't like proportional representation not gone up in like how long? Like. It doesn't actually reflect how yeah, many people oh yeah. are in. Like, it's still capped at like some ludicrous number where it's not actually proportional. Um, so, like, yeah, what- no, it's it's not. I mean, I it, someone did the math, and it's something like you know, someone in in Iowa is like two point one times more powerful per vote than someone in you know California, and I'm sure that's not pure numbers. Like, some of that no. is some expected partisanship or some shit. Yeah. Um, but I mean, even pure numbers, it's something like one point oh. six or something ridiculous. Oh you my know. god! All right, we have to get to this next part because holy shit! I was gonna, okay. I was gonna, I was gonna say we should be close to closing, but no, this is awesome. Tith- thither, all argument again and again. What is that? How would you say that? I think you say tither. Yeah, 
Tither. Okay, I'll go Tither. Tither all argument again and again returned, but it tried desperately to crowd out these real points by appealing to higher constitutional metaphysics. All right, constitutional metaphysics is <laughs> awesome. Let's. Why aren't we doing constitutional metaphysics discourse on Twitter right now? Let's go. I'm ready. Um, does the Constitution exist? Fuck you. No, it doesn't. I can do this. Now that we're, now we're talking. This Constitution. I've suddenly gone. I've suddenly gone from a realist to an anti-realist. You know, it's a, it's a legit. It's a legit stance. I'm a constitutional materialist. Thank you very much. I believe there is a Constitution, and I must therefore engage with it. Uh, this constitutional argument was astonishing. Around and around it went in dizzy, silly dialectics. Here were grown, sensible men arguing about a written form of government adopted 90 years before when men did not believe that slavery could outlive their generation in this country or that civil war could possibly be its result. When no man foresaw the Industrial Revolution or the rise of the Cotton Kingdom. And yet now, with incantation and abracadabra, the leaders of a nation try to peer back into the magic crystal and out of a bit of paper called the Constitution find eternal and immutable law laid down for their guidance forever and ever amen holy shit <laughs> that how you know, I love that too. does it get that you know what it, that is the most on the nose description of constitutional liberal or, or, or originalism that i've ever seen right like and it's yeah. even more even close because we're like it's been 200 years and they don't know what they're talking about it's so out of date and even here 90 years after a side the voice is going what are you talking about of course you can change it of course you can change they couldn't have foreseen these circumstances 90 years ahead and we're what 300 years down the road and trying to pretend like they would what the fuck is happening here and God. I, I love it. Well, and it's the same thing with like the genius of the founding fathers and America is so free and American exception. You know, all of that comes back to the same mythos, but I really love this last sentence it's that, so that pertains good. to the. <laughs> and out of a bit of paper called the Constitution, find internal and immutable law laid down for their guidance forever and ever. Amen. It's God so. Fucking you skipped the abracadabra. So with I incantation and abracadabra. <laughs> <laughs> they knew perfectly well that no such omniscient law existed or had ever existed. Yet in order to conceal the fact, they twisted and distorted and argued. These states are dead, but states can never die. These states have gone out of the union, but states can never go out of the union. This is literally a goddamn intro level philosophy argument about like like whether or not we exist or don't exist. Or like our Again, this is still this is still modern day conservatives. And it's this the is same all modern thing. day conservatives. But states can never go out of the union. And to prevent this, we fought and won a war. But while we were fighting, those states were certainly not in the union. Else, why did we fight? And how now may they come back? They are already back because they never really left. What the fuck is this? What is this? Then what were we fighting? You, If you go back in the annals of like, and like how they teach history about reconstruction, all these noble men doing these noble things, they never have a sideshow where they go, what is a state really, if you think about it? What is the definition of is, I love this too, because from the abracadabra to the immutable law laid down in guidance forever and ever, amen, to the fact that they know they were lying, to this bullshit back and forth, like hyper, you know, uh, hyper idealist, surrealist, uh, philosophical argument, or like you said, you know, uh, philosophy 101 type shit. 
Um, I, it's, it's just modern day conservatism. So fucking on the nose. Like, like you're reading this and you're going, that's the Republican party. That's the Republican party. That's the Republican Very party. Very much. For you. Yeah. Then what were we fighting for? For union. But we had union and we have got union. Only these constituent states are dead and we must bring them to life. I just love doing CPR on a state. Just shock paddles on, on Alabama. Just come out. Uh, but states never die. What? That sounds like a goddamn country album. That sounds that sounds like the worst redneck James Bond film I've ever heard. <laughs> States' rights never die. James Bond with a goddamn like Garth Brooks intro song. Let's do it. I want. I want. I want redneck James Bond. Make it happen. Then they have forfeited statehood and become territories. Oh God, we're getting into territories. Uh, but state statehood cannot be forfeited. What do you mean statehood can't be forfeited? Conspirators within the states interfered. Oh God, there's rogue parties now. Now the interference has stopped. But as long as the interference lasted, there was surely no union. Oh yes, only it did not function. We need not now provide for its functioning again, for the Constitution already provides for that. Where was the Constitution during the war? But the war is ended, and now the Constitution prevails. Unless the Constitution prevails, this is no nation. There is no president. We have no real Congress. It's anarchy in the streets, baby! (laughs) Since it does not represent the nation. But who represented the nation during the war? And by that token, who saved the nation and killed slavery? Why are we like anthropomorphizing these people now? What is happening? No. Shall the nation that saved the nation now surrender its power to rebels who fought to preserve slavery? There are no rebels! What do you mean there's no rebels? <laughs> Fuck you! You can't just say they're not... They're sitting across from you! You brought them back! I can't I can't wait <coughs> until slavery being racist is pointed out and someone goes, ad hominem, because that's exactly that's how this doing. is fucking this going. Is a fucking, this is a fucking Bosch <laughs> debate right now. Oh my god. The South is loyal and slavery is dead. How can the loyalty of the South be guaranteed? And has the black slave been really made free? Freedom is a matter of states' rights. There it is. So was secession. Must we fight the battle over again? Yes, if you try to make monkeys equal to men. Oh, well, there it is. What caused <laughs> Yeah. War, but your own insistence that men were at once monkeys and real estate. Gentlemen, gentlemen, and fellow Americans, let us have peace. Unity, guys, unity. But what is peace? Is it slavery of all poor men and increased political power for the slaveholder? Do you want to wreak vengeance on the conquered and the unfortunate? Do you want to reward oh, rebellion? Oh, the conquered by... slaveholders are the oppressed. That's, Do that's, you want to wreak vengeance so on the conquered up. and the unfortunate? Do you want to reward rebellion by increased power to rebels? And so on and so on, up and down, day after day, week after week. That feels like a very good point to end this episode, guys. Send gals and non-binary pals. Holy shit. That was as holy crap. That... That was there was a lot to take in there, gang. There was a lot yeah. to take in there. I'm not gonna lie. They had us in the first half, and then uh, oh shit, it got it got wacky real quick there. I was gonna say that was so wacky. We actually like didn't do a big current events intro and jumped right into the reading. It still only did six pages because those six pages they were fucking they content so very dense. Um, holy cow! Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for everyone listening to this. Um, I I, I think I, I think we take it for granted. And don't say it enough but 
any anyone who takes this hour out of their day to listen to us rabble, you know, babble and rant and scream and 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 do all the things we do before we kind of read a book. Sometimes um, that 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 does. Outside of the fact that we hope we're doing some good for everybody who does get to listen, uh, it, it is just incredibly humbling that any of you would spend your time to yeah. listen to what we have to say. Um, and and uh, that that never gets lost on at least me and I, I know David as well. So yeah. um, that being said, there are some ways that you could let us know, hey, Nathan, I found that Thaddeus Stevens statue uh, through totally legal and up and up <laughs> means, and I'd like to find ways to convey it to you. Um, one of the ways you can do that is through email, and you can email us marksmadnesspod at gmail.com. Um, let's say you wanted to send that uh, message in under 180 characters uh, or, or through a fleet, because apparently we're doing those now. Uh, apparently we've got stories Are on those the- still on. I don't fucking I'm know. Still, I'm still confused. Okay. So I get crotchety old man and people start talking about fleets and, and there's the boat jokes and I'm just like, what the fuck are these circles? I get, man, get, get fuck, rid of the circles. Fuck if I know. I, I turned it on one day and Bryn had a picture of the Hulk's dick on there and I stopped going. Uh, that, that's when I tapped out. I didn't need that in my life anymore. Bryn, you can't make me unsee that. And for that, for that, I will swear a blood feud. Um, that being said, <laughs> you can get us on Twitter. Our DMs are open, and so is our timeline uh, at Mark's Madness Pod on Twitter. Um, and let's say you would like to share with a whole bunch of other comrades about how you have now acquired a Thaddeus Stevens statue and or bust and or um, tattoo to deliver to Nathan. Um, you could also join Discord. Uh, we live in Dumb and Awful's Discord on on Discord because I don't feel like maintaining our own because that's the level of you know dedication i show to to maintaining things um but i do i do uh moderate and hang out in dumb and awful's discord so if you want to catch up with us we are there uh the link to the discord is in our bio uh it's just a good time there's good people we hang out you know the drill um that being said it's been a hot second since we've disclaimed anything david would you like to disclaim yeah, yeah absolutely so of course um you know going back to the the uh beginnings of this podcast it was just you know me and nathan were reading a book and we went what the hell let's record like we're some kind of reading group because that's kind of what we're doing we're only two people and we know how to make podcasts and we'll see what the hell happens and uh, and then we decided to go forward with the podcast and and since that beginning uh something we've hoped our sincerest hope is that you are in some kind of political organization and that political organization's reading group or political education uh or whatever they may call it is reading this book and you're having your own discussions there. And this can be complimentary. This can give you more context, more background, another opinion, uh, maybe even make the reading more fun at times when we have episodes like this where we chuckle through weird-ass circular questions. <laughs> uh, save, save for that. Um, you know, let's say your, your reading group political education is, is doing more practical works, you know, maybe more basic theory or shorter works or something like that. Um, then hopefully we can be your reading group for this and you're reading along with us. Uh, save for that, um, some books where we summarize things and complete your cliff notes, uh, and other books like this where we rework for word and can be your enhanced ebook. Whatever it is to make these works more accessible to you, we just hope to get the theory out there and make it easier for you to consume because something you need when you go out there and take action is theory and you need to take the action on this theory um, because that action called praxis is rudderless and misguided and not useful without theory and theory is completely useless without praxis uh, praxis is theory and action and they go hand in glove they cannot be separated 
Amen. Abracadabra. All the other things. Abra- <laughs> Abracadabra. Forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> that being said, this has been Mark's Madness. Uh, uh, we will talk to you all next week. My name is Nathan. My name's David. Bye. Bye.